WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide and the tough questions get asked and answered. Thanks for joining us on Flashpoint. I'm Jane Monreal. Ben Thompson has the week off. Well, as we gear up for the winter months, a new report shows the Carolinas power grid may not be able to survive a severe cold weather event. You might remember last year during Christmas, thousands went without power during a cold snap. And an attack on the power grid in Moore County only made things worse. Now, as demand for electricity increases, some officials are sounding the alarm. Joining us now is Jim Matheson. He is the CEO of the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association and a former U.S. Congressman. Mr. Matheson, thank you and welcome to Flashpoint. Well, thanks. I'm glad to be here. Well, how close are we to an energy crisis this winter here in the Carolinas? Uh, if we have extreme cold, uh, we're really at risk for it happening, just like it did last year in the Carolinas on Christmas Eve. You may recall there was a real cold snap and there were rolling blackouts actually in nine states, including the Carolinas. And that's what we're concerned about is extreme cold, demand for electricity goes up, demand for natural gas for heating homes goes up and there's not enough gas to run the power plants that are, that are fueled by that. Uh, that risk exists again on any cold snap. Yeah, I do recall last winter uh, very clearly. What, what would it take to overwork the power grid? You know, it's really uh, more than anything temperature driven, but why it's getting a little more risky every year is we're using more and more electricity. Demand is growing. Uh, think of all the electrical devices you use now. We, we plug into everything and, you know, whether it's uh, cloud computing and, and AI, we're using more and more electricity in this country. So this is a trend of facing risk during extreme temperature events that's been, this trend has been developing for years and each year the risk gets a little greater because demand is going up and we're not increasing amount of electricity supply we have in this country. All right, well, one of the things you mentioned uh, it, that's also mentioned in the report, of course, that huge snap that we experienced last Christmas. Yeah. Uh, power outages across the region. Has anything really changed since then that would stop this from happening again? Well, sadly, the answer to that is nothing's changed that's going to make it better. What's making it just a little bit worse is demand has grown from last winter to this winter. The projected amount of electricity we would use has gone up. So uh, I'm not saying you're gonna have blackouts every week. Don't, don't overinterpret what I'm saying, but the risk is just as great as last year, if not a little more. And it's gonna take some time for the utility industry to be able to invest in new power plants to help make this go. And really we need public policy to allow us to do that in a way where it doesn't take years and years and years to get permits to build new infrastructure. Cause that's what it's gonna take is more electric generating capacity, more electric transmission lines, more gas pipelines. We have the technology, it's just can we deploy it. Well, that's obviously going to sound like uh, it's going to take some time uh, and not yeah. just the electric grid, right? As we think of it, there's also a concern over generators and access to extreme weather events. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no question. And, you know, and not everyone can afford a generator for their home anyway, too. That's the other thing. I mean, uh, it, it, it's asking a lot to say to people, well, because uh, public policy has prevented us from building new power plants, you got to go out and spend a bunch of money to get a generator for your home. I don't think that's a very good answer, quite frankly. I think that we need to allow the electric utility industry to take the necessary steps to reduce this risk of these outages. And look, under normal conditions, we'll be fine. It's just when you have an extreme coal event, like a polar vortex, that's when we're at risk. And uh, that's why we need to make these investments. 
The other thing, uh, Jim, that's happened across the Carolinas and in other parts of the country as well, attacks on substations last December. Yeah. Uh, I remember the power station attacks in Moore County, proving just how vulnerable the power system really is. Do we need to see more security to protect our already vulnerable grid? Well, I can tell you that the electric utility sector, and I'm speaking for electric cooperatives who I work for, um, we have taken steps to create greater security, to harden those sites. Yes, the infrastructure is dispersed all over the place, and so there's a certain vulnerability, but I can tell you that, particularly based on those incidents in the Carolinas, uh, the electric utility sector has responded, and they have enhanced security uh, to reduce that risk. All right, so we're learning from our past. What else, uh, yeah. what other lessons can we all know about as consumers then moving forward? Well, you know, in the short term, and this, uh, it, it, to the extent we face, if there's a real cold snap, if there's going to be outages, number one, make sure you got batteries for your flashlight. Number two, extra blankets to stay warm. And number three, if the uti local utility is asking everyone to conserve and reduce their power use, think about that now. So you kind of have a plan in place so you not have to make it up in the moment about things you can do to help. Uh, I don't think that's the ultimate answer for consumers. Like I said, ultimately, we got to build more generating plants. But in the situation we're in now, if there's a cold snap, those are the things consumers can do to help with the problem. Let's talk about transportation. As more people and the federal government push for more electric vehicles on the roads, is our electric grid ready to handle that with more and more electricity? It's another example of where demand is growing for electricity. Uh, as I said, data centers and the cloud computing and AR are the really big uh, drivers of electric demand. But electric vehicles are going to drive it too. And and you've raised a fair point. You're going to need more electricity for it. But you know what else you're going to need? You're going to need more just delivery systems so that we can power all those vehicles. If you if you have a let's say you have a truck stop that normally everyone goes on the interstate to to get a gasoline for the vehicle. If it's going to have a bunch of charging stations there, it's not. It, you don't just put up a charging station and it works. You've got to have this infrastructure behind it to make sure that electricity being delivered. So there are significant investments are going to have to be made if we're going to have reliable electricity uh, to power uh, future electric vehicles. No question about it. You've answered this in one way or another, but what is it going to take then to, to step up energy production and how does renewable energy play into all this? Well, uh, you know, first I'll mention renewable energy. Renewable energy has a role to play. There's no question it has a value, but it has a limitation because the sun doesn't shine 24 hours a day and the wind doesn't blow 24 hours a day. So as part of a portfolio, renewable energy can be a contributor, but what you really need to make sure you have is enough what I call always available generation in the electric side, which may be nuclear or coal or natural gas. Uh, that's what it's gonna take. And uh, quite frankly, um, to make those investments, one of the big risks is really in the public policy arena where um, it's very hard to get permitting to build a new facility, whether it's an, uh, even a renewable energy plant or a natural gas plant or an electric transmission line. Uh, we need to fix that. We need to make it, I'm not saying throw out all of our environmental laws, but let's have a system where you apply for a permit and there's a reasonable period of time and then you're done. It's either yes, go ahead with the project or no, it's rejected, but you gotta have more certainty and more timeliness to that process. And that's a public policy issue. Yeah, you talk about that. What should lawmakers in Washington be doing then to protect all of us when it comes to energy? Yeah, the, the number one, let's let's take a look at our, our environmental pertinent laws at the federal level. No question there can be changes there. Uh, number two, let's make sure we're not encouraging policies that end up having to shut down existing power plants that have a, a useful life left. Uh, 
I understand that some folks want to pursue the agenda to reduce the carbon footprint, but we're going to be using more and more electricity to do that in other sectors of the economy. you got to have a reliable electric sector. You really do. We rely on it every day now so much, and we're going to rely on it even more in the future. And so maintaining those plants, those generation plants that can produce power in a reliable way, man, that's the first step we ought to take. Is, uh, it's, it, I, I, I say it all the time. It's the old saying, when you find yourself in a hole, the first step is stop digging deeper. Let's stop shutting down very uh, workable, viable power plants that produce electricity today. Jim Matheson, appreciate your insight here on Flashpoint. Thank you, appreciate the time. Still to come on Flashpoint, Charlotte city leaders pushing to add more trees to the Queen City. The goal they're working to achieve after years of real estate development. With your help, WCNC Charlotte is making a difference in our community. Beautiful day, so many people helping. This is incredible. Let's spread that love tonight. Here is a $5,000 check that you guys wow. can use to further the mission. There is nothing on earth like the feeling of giving back with your hands. $5,000 to you and uh, Block Love Charlotte for what you guys do. If you'd like to make a difference, go to WCNC.com slash make a difference now. Wake up to the news that matters most with meteorologist and traffic reporter Chris Mulcahy. And we're all clear. We're keeping you smarter, safer, and on time. Start your day the Mulcahy way. See the difference. 430 to 7 on WCNC Charlotte. When it comes to WCNC's chief meteorologist, Brad Panovich, our viewers tell the whole story. Hey, if you're new to the area, this meteorologist is awesome. I always stick with Brad Panovich when it comes to severe weather. He's rarely wrong. You should follow Brad if you don't already. He's usually right on the money with his forecast. I don't look at anything else besides what Brad says. We are fortunate to have him here. Brad Panovich, experience the difference with WCNC Charlotte weather. The new and improved WCNC Plus, now on Roku and Fire TV. Watch local live newscasts, get extended breaking news coverage, and see local programs and specials. The new and improved WCNC Plus, now on Roku and Fire TV. When I think about the community, I think about the time that I've been here. I've been in this community almost my entire adult life. So I, I, you, know, you get to know the people. When you know what they care about, then that's what you care about. This community looks at all of us who do weather here at WCNC Charlotte as part of their family. And uh, when you're part of their family, you wanna make sure you do it just for them. At WCNC Charlotte, we believe it is crucial to make a difference in our communities. That's why we go beyond just reporting the news. We ask, where's the money to hold the powerful accountable and get money back into your pockets? Our Verify team takes claims, finds sources, and gets you answers. And we're keeping you weather aware, making you safer and smarter. I'm Vanessa Rufus. And I'm Colin Mayfield. Join us weeknights at 5, 6, and 11 and see the difference for yourself. Only on WCNC Charlotte. Connect the dots and let us clear up the confusion. We're here to make sure the news makes sense. And with Connect the Dots, you'll understand how the headlines impact your family. See the difference on WCNC Charlotte. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Jane Monreal. This week, Charlotte City leaders getting an update on efforts to protect and grow Charlotte's tree canopy. 
Right now, just about 47% of Charlotte's land is covered by trees, but there's a push to increase that number. Joining us now is Jane Myers. She's the executive director of Trees Charlotte, a public-private nonprofit working to grow the city's urban forest. Jane, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Absolutely. Your organization working to maintain and grow Charlotte's tree canopy. Why is this so critical? Well, trees do so much for us. Um, they benefit us in every aspect from mental health to physical health. Uh, they cool our communities. They clean our air. We like breathing. <laughs> uh, they absorb stormwater runoff. Uh, they just are the gifts that keep on giving. Uh, I just am and, and so impressed with all the research that shows what trees do for us and for our community. So it's very important to have them as um, our greatest natural hallmark, as we like to say. Yeah, breathing is good, Jane. Um, numbers <laughs> that, that you shared this week show the copy is uh, the canopy slowing declining, though, right? So down half a percent from five years ago. And with so much development happening in Charlotte, what is it going to take to bring those numbers back up? I think I always tell people it's going to take everyone. The city of Charlotte has so many um, wonderful, dedicated people to our city, and we all need to be a part of this mission. But we're going to right now between the city of Charlotte and Tree Charlotte, we plan approximately and distribute approximately 6,500 trees annually. We are definitely going to have to uptick that significantly. Um, to start to get on the growth side. Um, I think our initial goal would be to get net neutral, but also to get to where we are growing our canopy um, and hopefully one day reaching that 50 by 50 goal. That's the dream. All right, take us behind the scenes a little bit. Uh, what technology is used to calculate Charlotte's canopy? Yeah, this, this study was different than ones we've done in the past, or at least the last one that I was most familiar with. And um, it used AI, which is a different technology um, to kind of calculate and read, like, uh, I guess I would say machine learning, where it learned how to read the different um, um, images across the city. So when they, when it looks at the canopy, it can really tell um, more incremental growth, I would say, than, than, than we might have been able to tell in the past, which is really how we've offset a lot of the loss that we were we found that we were experiencing over the past five years. Uh, and so, uh, but but it is still lost, and we want to make sure that um, that we try to fight that because the bigger headline that was a little you know jarring, if you will, would be uh, by 2050 if we don't dig in a lot deeper. No pun intended. Um, we will we will we will get we won't be at best case scenario 40 percent, um, and we we definitely want to don't don't want to go that low. We want to try to keep our city, um, like I said, as green as everyone knows it when they come and visit. What, what are the challenges you say, uh, do you believe are the challenges to our canopy then? Our greatest loss happens on residentially zoned property. Um, so I think, you know, we're the third fastest major growing city in the country. Uh, and so, you know, there, there's the challenge of making space for everyone. Uh, and we just need to do it in a thoughtful, respectful way. But I think people also need to be um, conscientious. We all, if we can, if we can add to the, the true canopy builders, those are the, the bigger trees, the oaks that we also love. Um, I think that that can help us, you know, 
make a bigger impact because we usually say in our work, it takes five years to plant a tree and 20 years to grow it. Um, so we need to be planning now for, for what we want for our children and our children's children. So, I mean, when you're looking at the city's tree canopy, besides some of those other canopies, where do you see the most opportunity for growth? Uh, well, there's definitely um, tree disparity, uh, and it follows the historical redlining practices. So we're where you and 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 um, wealth. If you if you overlaid um, a map of Charlotte and um, how its wealth tracks, the lower um, wealth areas also um, have the lower canopy areas. So there, that's the greatest need um, is to focus on growing our tree equity. Um, and and um, because the health benefits are so important to everyone, but certainly in um, in the communities that have less. So that's one of our bigger focuses, and we're trying to um, move the dial in those areas. How does Charlotte compare when it comes to the tree canopy in other major cities? We're we're um, my understanding is we're in the top ten percent of the country. We do pretty well. Um, our top ten, I should say. Um, <clears throat> 40% is typically historically considered best in class. Um, so, so I think we have a pretty um, robust community. I think the challenge that presents is that you have, um, that we have a very uh, established community. So it's, it's a much older, a lot of the trees that were planted were around the same time uh, in the late um, 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, trees are living things, so they have natural lifespans. So I think because we have such a rich mature canopy, we've really got to be planning now for the losses that are inevitable down the road. And Jane, city leaders recently putting the new unified development ordinance into place, looking to clean up, make sense of the zoning rules. What effect does that have on your work? Yeah, that's a um, great question. So we we did we did this work analyzed um, through 2022 uh, because it, it has to be six eight months in arrears typically um, when you do when you collect the data. But um, and so so the new UDO um, ordinances weren't in place yet um, to show the impact that they can start to how they can start to contribute. But um, but I think we want to do um, more um, with with our Charlatans um, that the more that they can do to be a part of this mission. I always say um, we can. We have our team of seven on our staff, but if we have 700 and 7,000 people and 70,000 people in Charlotte that are helping us, gosh, the impact that we can make on growing our um, canopy. So um, the UDO has is definitely gotten us um, started and further along. And I know the city is looking forward to uh, using this data to help inform some more um, next steps that um, go deeper on what the, what the research shows. Well, thank you so much, Jane Myers from Tree Charlotte. Thank you for joining us here on Flashpoint. Oh, thank you. Have a great day. You too. Next on Flashpoint, staying out of the classroom, our Seeking Solutions investigation on why so many students with disabilities aren't able to bounce back from the pandemic, the rules that are putting their futures at risk.
At WCNC Charlotte, we really want to make a difference. We have tools like Verify and Where's the Money to really listen to viewers and see what they're struggling with, whether that's trying to get money that you deserve or answering a question that's confusing you. We're not the experts, we're interviewing the experts. And that's why we wanna bring it to you so you can see the facts, how we check them, and how we get the answer. The new and improved WCNC Plus, now on Roku and Fire TV. Watch local live newscast, get extended breaking news coverage, and see local programs and specials. The new and improved WCNC Plus, now on Roku and Fire TV. When it comes to WCNC's Chief Meteorologist Brad Panovich, our viewers tell the whole story. Hey, if you're new to the area, this meteorologist is awesome. I always stick with Brad Panovich when it comes to severe weather. He's rarely wrong. You should follow Brad if you don't already. He's usually right on the money with his forecast. I don't look at anything else besides what Brad says. We are fortunate to have him here. Brad Panovich, experience the difference with WCNC Charlotte weather. The pandemic may have introduced most families to the challenges of remote learning, but students with disabilities and their parents have suffered the effects of that kind of education for years. We've learned hundreds of students are not allowed to attend school because of behaviors linked to the disabilities, and thousands of others can only go to school for a small part of the day, putting their futures at risk. Nate Morbido continues seeking solutions. You can imagine the strain on families. Parents left scrambling to juggle work, home life and their kids schooling, all while fighting for their children's education rights, facing a system that regularly keeps these vulnerable kids out of the classroom. She wanted to buy back to school supplies like her sisters. As other kids excitedly prepared for their return to the classroom. That's all she wanted to do. Nine-year-old Hannah started out this school year the same place she finished out the last. It hurts. It really, really hurts. Inside her Waxhaw home. No friends, no recess, only a couple hours of learning a day. This child has pretty much had no education her entire third grade. Hannah has pandas. The disability quickly shifts her mood and challenges her with anxiety. Complications her mother, Joyce Messick, understands can make school more difficult and dangerous for everyone. If I were a parent and I knew about a Hannah in the classroom, I'd be a little bit worried. Ideally, kids with disabilities should learn alongside their peers. But some schools are so overwhelmed, understaffed, and ill-prepared to meet children's individual needs, they send kids home often with support from the kids' doctors. My biggest worry is that we're going to be stuck here on Homebound. Records show more than 600 children in North Carolina alone learned in a Homebound setting in 2022, down from 2021. Really what you're aiming for is to not be in that Homebound setting. But attorney Ginny Fogg says the real number is likely well over 1,000. I suspect that there is frustration over how to serve students with challenging behaviors. Up until recently, Fogg worked for Disability Rights North Carolina, an organization that has repeatedly urged the State Department of Public Instruction to better track these students and provide more oversight so they don't remain at home longer than they should. I think there's a lack of willingness to engage in the behavioral supports that are needed. 
While NCDPI tells us it has remained responsive to those concerns, Disability Rights maintains the state has not yet taken appropriate and necessary action to ensure statewide accountability. Joyce Messick says her school district hasn't done enough to come up with a solution that addresses Hannah's needs. So she filed a due process complaint accusing Union County Public Schools got it. of failing to provide Hannah with a free appropriate public education. This whole process is really, really, really daunting. The case has dragged on for months. A judge wouldn't let our cameras inside the most recent hearing. But over several days, the mom argued why she believes a nearby specialty school for kids with profound disabilities is best suited to meet Hannah's needs. The district disagreed, saying she'd be better served in a quiet room at an elementary school where they can offer two hours of instruction a day with a pair of homebound teachers. The best alternative, after Union County removed those teachers from the home in September, when the girl grabbed a kitchen knife, and threaten them. I am not optimistic that we will get justice for Hannah through this due process hearing, unfortunately. In recent days, the judge ordered the district to make a referral to that specialty school and a separate day treatment program within Union County Public Schools as well to see if either would be appropriate. <laughs> As yet another day. I want Hannah to have friends. Week and month passes. Adults are still trying to figure out what's best for this child. Still stuck at home, constitutionally guaranteed an education, but currently without one. The family since filed a federal lawsuit, among other things, asking for an investigation and or audit of the district's special education department. Nate Morabito, WCNC Charlotte. And we're back with more Flashpoint right after this. With your help, WCNC Charlotte is making a difference in our community. Beautiful day, so many people helping. This is incredible. Let's spread that love tonight. Here is a $5,000 check that you guys wow. can use to further the mission. There is nothing on earth like the feeling of giving back with your hands. $5,000 to you and uh, Block Love Charlotte for what you guys do. If you'd like to make a difference, Go to WCNC.com slash make a difference now. At WCNC Charlotte, we believe it is crucial to make a difference in our communities. That's why we go beyond just reporting the news. We ask, where's the money to hold the powerful accountable and get money back into your pockets? Our verified team takes claims, finds sources, and gets you answers. And we're keeping you weather aware, making you safer and smarter. I'm Vanessa Rufus. And I'm Colin Mayfield. Join us weeknights at 5, 6, and 11 and see the difference for yourself. Only on WCNC Charlotte. Connect the dots and let us clear up the confusion. We're here to make sure the news makes sense. And with Connect the Dots, you'll understand how the headlines impact your family. See the difference on WCNC Charlotte. That's going to do it for us this week on Flashpoint. Remember, the conversation continues on Instagram, X, and Facebook. If there's something you want us to cover on Flashpoint, let us know. And as always, remember to listen and subscribe to our podcast. You can find it wherever you get yours. Ben, we'll see you right back here next weekend.